Oh, wow. You know, the perspective changes uh, probably day to day with the shifting news, especially around uh, the, the variant, the, the Delta uh, variant. But I think our presidents have learned a lot from the past year and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're focused on a couple of things right now. They're focused on safety uh, and providing strong supports to faculty and students. Welcome to Innovating Together, a podcast produced by the University Innovation Alliance. This is the podcast for busy people in higher education who are looking for the best ideas, inspiration, and leaders to help you improve student success. I'm your host, Bridget Burns. Our next guest is Karen Stout, who has served as president and CEO of Achieving the Dream since 2015. Prior to this, Dr. Stout was president of Montgomery County Community College for 14 years. Welcome, President Stout. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Marjorie, and thank you, Bridget. It's wonderful to be here on this Monday uh, afternoon on the East Coast, but morning on the West Coast. Yeah, you just came back from a vacation, so I bet you're feeling great. So just in general, we like to kick it off by getting a sense of where you are and how are you doing right now? I'm doing well coming off of uh, three weeks of vacation. And honestly, uh, Bridget, Bridget Marjorie, it is the first time that I have really fully disconnected. Um, so I really understand the phrase disconnect to connect. Uh, and it was really important, really important for a lot of reasons, for the organization for me to step away for a little bit, but primarily for myself. Wow, I'm gonna have to try that disconnect thing. I have not done it I, yet. I did not bring my laptop anywhere with me. I did not turn my laptop on until 6 a.m. this morning. So I am in catch-up mode, but I'm really happy uh, to be reconnected. Did you feel any anxiety about the first few days? Like, I can't get on my devices. You know what What I did? I, I immediately started a very active vacation at the moment that I disconnected. So I went on a backroads bike trip through Oregon. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was so focused on managing through the hills and the heat that it was very easy for me to disconnect. And then when I returned from that trip and still had some time to myself, mm -hmm. I, you know, I had broken the habit, the habit. I wasn't addicted anymore and it felt yeah. great. Okay, I'm gonna have to try that. I think I'm gonna do it before the, uh, the end of, by the end of the month. So. By example, I love it. This is good. Around yeah. the keep, that promise, keep that promise to yourself. It's as important as meeting any deadline in Inside Higher Ed. <laughs> okay, I am going to take that under advisement and take it very seriously. But um, now that you're back to business, um, I was wondering, given the unique space that you sit in as a president among presidents and with everything going on right now, can you give us a sense of the perspective of community college presidents around the country right now? Oh, wow. You know, the perspective changes uh, probably day to day with the shifting news, especially around uh, the, the variant, the, the Delta uh, variant. But I think our presidents have learned a lot from the past year and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're focused on a couple of things right now. They're focused on safety uh, and providing strong supports to faculty and students. Uh, so across the country, many have already started their semesters. Other are, others are preparing for semesters. Mm -hmm. uh, and first and foremost is, is safety. 
Secondly, though, I think our presidents are really focused on reconnection. And what I mean by that is trying to find the students who left our campuses last spring, did not come to campus in the fall right out of high school, uh, and the disconnected adults in our communities who desperately need a, a foothold into some type of retraining uh, to be prepared uh, in, in this, this changing economy. And if that's a big challenge. That's a big challenge because the students who are not coming to America's community colleges right now are the ones that are most affected by the virus, by COVID. Uh, so it's a, it is a significant challenge. And I, I know across the country, uh, our, our leaders are worried about what is being billed an enrollment crisis, but really it's a disconnection crisis that, uh, that we need to have a different perspective on access around. We cannot continue to assume that because we're community colleges, students will find us, that access is in our DNA. Instead, it's a different mindset uh, that our leaders are adopting, just like uh, the work we put into student success. I think now you'll see uh, this very strong focus on, on access, reconnection, and success, and really tying those two together in a new and much more intentional and strategic way. Good. That's really thoughtful. I appreciate that, that framing. Yeah. Um, I, but I want to turn to uh, something that was pretty newsworthy before uh, you left on your vacation. Uh, congratulations on the Mackenzie Scott gift. Cannot, uh, there are so many organizations on that list where when I saw it, I was like, yep, that is good philanthropy because I could not dispute a single one of those investments. They were the right investments, the right organizations, and yours definitely at the top of that list. So, um, but I'm curious, for those of us on the outside who are so wondering what that experience is like, um, can you share with folks a little peek behind the curtain about what it was like for you to, like, how did you first hear about this? And we're all curious also about how you see this, um, this new kind of breathing room, uh, which I'm sure it's giving you, what, it, what that's going to mean for ATD's work in the future. I wish I could give you a really good look behind the curtain. I found out about the gift uh, really right before the, the public found out about the gift. Uh, and when I found out about the gift uh, and the, you know, the amount, and I know, you know of the 700 and some organizations that Mackenzie Scott has supported, I think 200 or so have, have said the amount and, you know, part of the, the donor agreement is that you do not have to reveal the amount, but for ATD, it was $20 million. And when I heard it was $20 million, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I started to cry. I, I started to cry yeah. uh, and shake mm -hmm. because it, it is that significant for an organization like ATD. Our annual operating budget ranges from 16 million to 20 million, depending on, you know, how much philanthropy we receive for certain programs each year. So this gift equaled our you know, annual operating budget. And to me, it was an affirmation of two decades of leadership uh, that ATD has you know, put into the field around student success for a while in 2004. And Bridget, you know this, we were by ourselves in this work and just community colleges were, were engaged in the student success work. And then, you know, a movement started uh, and it is a big movement now around student success and equitable 
uh, student outcomes. So the, the, the gift does give ATD some breathing room, yes. Uh, we are our own independent nonprofit with our own you know, board of directors. We're not attached to another organization where we get kind of that infrastructure spine of support. So we're providing our own spine of support. That is a challenge while you're also trying to do program work of a high quality, high caliber, sustainable, uh, you know, in a sustainable way in the field. So the, the, the gift will help us in a couple of ways. Uh, number one, it will help us build uh, some reserve fund, which I think is really important for the sustainability of ATD. We, we operate you know, year to year on the shoestring. Number two, it will help us invest in some infrastructure support for the organization, especially around critical items like building our coaching cadre, providing professional development to the coaching cadre, staffing at an adequate rate our programs. Uh, but most importantly, we're looking to be generative with the gift. You know, Mackenzie Scott talked about being generative with, with generosity, with, with giving, mm -hmm. and we want to model that. So we're looking at ways to re-grant some of the Mackenzie Scott dollars to, to the field uh, to help bring more community colleges into our network community colleges that have been under-resourced and unable really to, to, to carry uh, the financial burden that uh, exists with coming into ATD, but also to help colleges that are doing good work to accelerate and further scale their work. So you'll see us in the coming months uh, begin to think, begin to seed some, 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 of that, uh, some of that work. Right now, we're working to build an infrastructure to store the gift, which is, you know, that is really important. So that's a whole new generation of work for ATD. But I appreciate you asking about that, Bridget. And, you know, it is a highlight. Uh, it, it affirms the important work of ATD. But more importantly, I think it affirms the work of the colleges that are in ATD. And many of them, many ATD colleges are on that list as well. So yeah. I think that, that that's also, you know, really, really important to us. Right. So, so what do you think needs to happen at this moment, like from your vantage point, to ensure we don't lose further ground in supporting low-income students during the pandemic? Oh, there are a couple of key things, I think, that, uh, and, and we see many of the colleges doing these things. So number one is you know, really looking at uh, debt and affordability. Uh, you see many of our colleges using their COVID relief dollars and, and really supporting students, eliminating student debt, uh, freezing tuition, uh, helping with all types of instructional supplies. Uh, that is really, really important. Uh, I think that looking at the basic needs of our students uh, in a deeper and I think more cohesive way and tying that work with what we're doing around entry of students into our colleges is also really important. You see some of our colleges thinking differently about partnerships. Uh, Wake Tech just announced what I'll call a public-public partnership. We talk a lot about public-private partnerships. Public-public partnerships, I think, are gonna become ever more important. So Wake Tech is actually donating some of their land uh, to a housing agency in their area to build affordable housing for the community, but also for students. So you're seeing 
uh, I think more creative approaches to support low-income students. Uh, you see colleges beginning to form partnerships with uh, pre-K organizations, Head Start, uh, going, you know, we, we used to talk about high school partnerships, then we moved to middle school partnerships. Now we're looking at, you know, partnerships with Head Start. Uh, I, I think all of those things are, are really important, you know, and, and the other the other thing I'm hearing from college presidents and one thing they're very worried about is how how the pandemic has deepened uh, racial equity uh, gains that they were making in their student success work uh, and really trying to to continue to 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 build a perspective inside their organizations around racial equity. Uh, the way that organizations are designed around racial equity, but also then how their work in the in the field with their students is designed around racial equity. That's I think that's super powerful and important right now. I also um, I wanted to shift to uh, not only are you learning and observing how folks are stepping up for low income students right now. I'm just wondering, like, as a broad view on leadership. There are a lot of different approaches that were taken by leaders throughout the pandemic, good and bad. And you sit in this very central space. I feel like you can distill some observations. I'm just wondering, is there any one lesson that you have learned, good or bad, from watching leaders and how they handled the pandemic? Oh, you know, I, I, let me think of three things. I think leaders that are focusing on the why and connecting their messaging on the why uh, are much more effective than leaders that are going directly to the how and what. The how and what is important. We know implementation is really important, but so is the case making around why we are making changes in our organizations. Uh, the second thing is I think I'm, I'm seeing many strong leaders willing to say that they don't know and willing to change course. Again, that connects with the why, having a strong case for the why, but that willingness to change course and say that you don't know what you don't know is really important. And then the third thing is that I'm seeing really strong leaders understand the importance of you know, communication, 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 communication. But this, this includes remaining visible remaining visible. So yes, communication is important, but I, I think presence in this state of uncertainty is really important and especially presence in the midst of disagreement. You know, there's a lot of disagreement right now on our college campuses and confronting that disagreement and being present with it is really fundamental. And I'm seeing a lot of strong leaders having the confidence to, to, to manage that tension. Yeah. And, and, you know, speaking of attention, you know, it's such an anxious time in our country in general, in higher education in particular, you know, you serve in this unique space as a president among presidents. Um, what advice, if any, are you, or coaching are you giving others in higher ed struggling to remain hopeful after what we saw on January 6th? Oh. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> Tough one. I, I, it is a tough one. I think. Yeah. I I I don't necessarily use the word uh, coaching in 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 this type of response. I I just say that you know I work really hard to listen, to be available and accessible to listen, um, and sometimes it's in that listening 
and just the questions that I'm able to pose as I'm listening to these different stories from presidents across the country that help presidents find the answers. There's a great book by Hal, Hal Gregerson at MIT called Questions Are the Answers. And I think, you know, I've been able, I, I believe, to help some of the presidents just by asking the right questions. And you do that through very intentional listening. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the other thing I've, I have encouraged my colleagues to do, and, and this was before I just finished reading Adam Grant's book, Think Again. And he, he talks about leaders needing to create these challenge networks. They're different than a personal board of, of directors that you know give you uh, kind of vision support. A challenge network includes people who sometimes disagree with you so that you can test ideas. And, and I've tried to be part of what I call a challenge network for some of the presidents, uh, to, to be a contrarian at times. Uh, that comes with that, the, the questioning, but to help presidents think again, to unlearn which is the key thing in Adam Grant's book, that we all need to unlearn, that that's the, that's the calling of leadership of, of, of now. We need to unlearn the habits uh, that worked in the past because they are not working. That's good. And I mean, I don't think there's a perfect answer for that right now, but boy, uh, no higher calling than to work it where we do, right? Because it clearly matters and we need to keep doing more of it. Um, so I'm curious about uh, you as a leader of community colleges and who's, who spent so much time in this space, you're very aware of kind of the exemplars of best practices of, you know, really great champions, uh, you know, whether they're in, in other, other spaces or at other universities. And I'm just wondering if you had a magic wand, and you could change one way that universities show up as partners for community colleges. What way would you, how would you change it? I think we're so focused on technical solutions when we think about university community college partnerships. So my magic wand would put university presidents across the country uh, simultaneously in the same rooms with the students from community colleges who aspire to attend their their universities and to really try to get the student voice in their head. Because I think if we were able to do that, we would see, I, I think, an accelerated effort uh, to, to reach out to community college students and to design for the students, not to design for the technical pathway that we are building. <laughs> in this transfer kind of ecosystem. Uh, student voice, I'd put this magically somehow put that student voice because the students will convince the university presidents and leaders that, uh, that, 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 they're, that they can add exceptional value to the university mission and experience. And in turn, the university uh, you know, can can really support students who uh, our country needs in key occupations throughout throughout the throughout the country. That's great. You're right. More empathy is definitely needed. Oh, and and Bridget, you're right. That's I think that's the key, right? That's the key. Good, good. Let's shift to things that have been important in your leadership journey. Um, what's the best advice? you've received that has served you professionally over the years? Uh, so one piece of advice from uh, a mentor who was a president that I worked with in New Jersey early in my career 
Mm -hmm. uh, her piece of advice was don't look sideways. Um, mm -hmm. And that uh, that has stuck with me. I can still remember where I was when she gave me that piece of advice and what the issue what the issue was. Another uh, president that I worked for in Maryland talked about leading with something she called healthy paranoia. And it wasn't until I got into the president's seat that I really understood what that meant. But I really think that's understanding and playing out the political context that you are in as a leader. The third thing is something that recently uh, I did with a group of colleagues. Um, all of us, Bridget, uh, thinking about uh, are we burned out or, or should we move on to something new? <laughs> you know, that we were talking about that before we started today, you know, that, that COVID has created this aura that's influencing all of us. And so I went on a journey of odyssey planning with a group of colleagues uh, from the book, Designing Your Life. So, you know, we use design thinking for the way that we're trying to redesign systems, advising systems and other systems within our colleges. Turn that approach on yourself. Uh, and the advice I received from colleagues when I turned that approach on myself was just just really, really important. So I would say, you know, find pick up that book and uh, think about your own odyssey planning. It requires you to do scenario planning. So it's not just one odyssey plan. It's charting out three or four odyssey plans uh, that resonate with you know, what makes you go and what motivates you. So when you were told, don't look sideways, was that meaning you know, stay focused on, keep your eyes on the prize, or don't get distracted by outside noise, or don't be influenced by others yapping? I think it was a combination of, of all of all of those those things. I mean, I think there are times when you do need to look sideways as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Uh, but I, I think I was getting pulled into at the time uh, a situation with colleagues that it basically was not my agenda to fight. And so I think the advice was don't look sideways, work with your team, your team and the work that you're doing will stand on its own and speak for itself. You don't need to be looking sideways to build evidence that your team is doing its job. Oh, I see. We do get a lot of noise when we look at other people's careers too. So I, I mean, yes. I feel like that, that has a, uh, you know, there's there's depth behind that advice that um, one could apply in many ways. So I, I guess I just want to turn to the, you know, I know that you have been in a position not only to mentor and support other community college leaders, but I, I mean, you've, you've always been super helpful for, for me as an executive director trying to learn from someone running a, a weird nonprofit, <laughs> uh, those of us in the weird space, um, and, and other places. So I'm just curious about what advice do you find yourself most consistently offering to those who are looking to lead? to distinguish yourself from your role. Because if you begin to believe that you are your role, this critical um, thing that Brene Brown calls detached engagement, which is really important for leadership, goes away. Um, and also you, you 
another mentor said to me, you know, you're, you might love your job, but your job and the, your job isn't going to love you back. Uh, and so this understanding that your identity is not, my identity is much more complex than being president of Achieving the Dream or president of Montgomery County Community College. And, and when I really live into that and authentically live into that, I'm a much healthier leader, much healthier person, much healthier uh, partner, much healthier uh, sister, you know, all of those things. Uh, and so that, that I find is the biggest piece of advice that, that I often give. And that is the topic that I'm usually talking to leaders about, aspiring leaders and current leaders who are thinking about uh, how successful they are right now and whether they should move on to explore something else, which is a, which is a big conversation right now and induced by the pandemic. That's great. That's good advice because I think a lot of people are questioning whether or not they should stay or what, you know, it's hard to, yeah. Is it burnout? Is it that I'm bored? Is it that my work I've, I've moved beyond? Or is it just that the pandemic has made me experience this complete reckoning of of the balance of my life? So I feel like people have to sift through a lot. That's Those are really good nuggets. Thank yeah. you. And, you know, yeah. and is this reaction to COVID on my campus a result of, which is playing out you know, differently, uh, is it a result of my leadership and something that I decided is a result. I mean, people are taking leaders are taking this work very personally, you know, and, and, and yes, we should, but we also have to create that space to step away. Uh, that's why this three week vacation was so, so important. I had a board chair at Montgomery uh, 18 years ago. So I've been a CEO now for more than 20 years. Say to me, Karen, one week isn't enough. A long weekend, Bridget, is not enough. Or Marjorie, I, we talked about that. Three weeks is the magical number. And he kept pounding that in me. And I never took his advice for the whole time I was at Montgomery. I finally took his advice. Finally took his advice. Well, and you look rested and you sound great. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, and so you've, you've mentioned some books you know, that you recommend. Is there one particular book or one resource that you find yourself recommending most often to others interested in leadership, but not just leadership, but great leadership? There's two and they're, they're kind of, they're classics. I mean, the first is Managing Transitions by William Bridges. And I find myself recommending that to uh, new presidents coming into the presidency for the first time and navigating their own personal transition as well as understanding what it means for the organization when a new leader comes in. Both are important and you have to manage both. Sometimes we forget about our own personal transition, but managing both is important. And the second one is leadership on the line. Uh, Ron Heifetz is the primary author, I think, on, on that book. It was first written in 2002. There's been an update to it. Uh, but he really gives some good advice on how leaders need to manage the uh, manage this working on the dance floor. When do you get on the dance floor and when do you move to the balcony and, mm -hmm. and how important it is to balance both. That's my big takeaway from that book. And that's what I'm often talking uh, to new leaders about is that's really important because you set that standard from the moment you start your new position. So, and it's hard to break the habit of when you're dancing and when you're on the balcony. 
Yeah. Yeah. You don't tough. want to be on the dance floor all the time and you can't yeah. be on the balcony all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tough time to be a president, but yeah. also, you know, challenging and in a good and bad ways. Yeah. Well, I feel like this this has been uh, really useful, and I think everyone understands just how fortunate I, I am to have you as a friend, but also people are to have you as a mentor and a colleague, because this has been a treasure trove of wisdom and advice, exactly what we're hoping for today. So uh, thanks so much for joining us. It's been wonderful to have you, and Marjorie, great to have you as a co-host. Thank you so much. Thanks. Welcome welcome to hanging out with me on Mondays. Yeah, this um, is and Thanks, Bridget. Thanks, Marjorie. Thank for you. Folks for folks at home, we'll see you next week where we will have another McKenzie Scott gift recipient, the president of University of Central Florida, Alexander Cartwright. So stay tuned and we will see you then. Have a great week.